Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He's a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Foundation. We'll get an update on what's happening with Trump's legal woes, as well as uh, the uh, uh, update on the funding for the government and uh, what's happening with Biden and, and uh, his student loans. We'll also visit with uh, Dr. Susan Wilson. Uh, Dr. Wilson is just a real saint, in my opinion. She is the founder of the Two Mine Fund USA that creates support for widows and orphans in Tanzania. We're going to find out about that. It's just a, a remarkable story. We'll also visit with Dr. Larry Bell, excuse me, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, I think about a dozen. His latest is Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is February the 23rd, and on this day in 1945, during the bloody Battle of Iwo Jima, U.S. Marines from the 3rd Platoon, E Company, 2nd Battalion, 28th Regiment of the 5th Division, taking the crest of Mount Suribachi, the island's highest peak and most strategic position, raised the U.S. flag. Marine photographer Louis Lowry, Lowry was with him and recorded the event. Americans fighting for control of Suribachi's slopes cheered and raising the flag. And several hours later, more Marines headed up the crest with a larger flag. Joe Rosenthal, a photographer with the Associated Press, met with them along the way and recorded the raising of the second flag along with a Marine still photographer and motion picture cameraman. Rosenthal took three photographs atop Suribachi. The first, which showed six Marines struggling to hoist the heavy flagpole, became the most reproduced photograph in history and won him a Pulitzer Prize. The accompanying motion picture footage attests to the fact that the picture was not posed. Of the other two photographs, uh, the second was similar to the first but less affecting, and the third was a, a group picture of 18 Marines smiling and waving for the camera. Many of these men, including three of the Marines seen raising the flag in the famous Rosenthal photo, were killed before the conclusion of the Battle of Iwo Jima in late March. In early 1945, U.S. military command sought to gain control of the island of Iwo Jima in advance of the projected aerial campaign against the Japanese homelands. Iwo Jima, a tiny volcanic island located in the Pacific about 700 miles southeast of Japan, was to be a base for fighter aircraft and an emergency landing site for bombers. On February the 19th, 1945, after three days of heavy naval and aerial bombardment, the first wave of U.S. Marines stormed onto Iwo Jima's inhospitable shores. The Japanese garrison on the island numbered 22,000 heavily entrenched men. Their commander had been expecting an Allied invasion for months and used the time wisely to construct an intricate and deadly system of underground tunnels, fortifications, and artillery that withstood the initial Allied bombardment. On the evening of the first day, despite incessant mortar fire, 30,000 U.S. Marines commanded, 
by General Holland Smith managed to establish a solid beachhead. During the next few days, the Marines advanced inch by inch under heavy fire from Japanese artillery and suffered suicidal charges from the Japanese infantry. Many of the Japanese defenders were never seen and remained underground manning artillery until they were blown apart by a grenade or a rocket, incinerated by a flamethrower. Taking Iwo Jima, what brave men, unbelievable uh, heroics, and Rosenthal taking the, the most photographed, a reproduced photograph in history. Well, U.S. stocks climbed higher yesterday. Uh, for example, the uh, Nasdaq was up 3%. Dow was up 1.2%. The S&P 500 hit another high after NVIDIA's blockbuster earnings report on Wednesday. It raised was up 16% yesterday. Japanese uh, Japan's Nikkei, Nikkei uh, stock index broke its 1989 record, closing at an all-time high of over 39,000. Europe's benchmark stock, stock 600 in, index Closed at an all-time high. It's pretty amazing. All the markets are just reacting. I get, and also probably all these countries and markets influenced by the inflation that we're having now. AT&T Network experienced hours-long outage across the United States. It remains unclear, though, uh, although AT&T says it may have been a result of a software update of these outages. An estimated 70,000 people affected, less than 1% of the network's estimated 100 million people serviced. But this affected 911, just a number of... it created some panic around the United States. I think the most, uh, while other networks experienced problems, it was probably because of AT&T's software update. The, uh, the Odysseus spacecraft successfully reached the lunar surface yesterday, becoming the first ever private sector mission to land on the moon while remaining operational. Its uh, arrival also represents the first U.S.-built state spacecraft to land on the moon in more than 50 years, following uh, the final Apollo mission in 1972. Built by intuitive machines and launched aboard a SpaceX rocket, Odysseus touched down at about 180 miles from the lunar south pole. The region is the, of interest to scientists due to the presence of ice, along with traces of evidence from early formation of the solar system. As astronauts could use water for drinking and rocket fuel, so that's that's going to be a big deal. The payload included about $120 million in NASA materials meant in part to lay the groundwork for a human visit in 2026 as part of the Artemis program, along with a number of art and sculptures. Intuitive Machines' uh, stock has jumped more than 300%, 300% since early January. <clears throat> NASA just doesn't have the budget to do this on their own, so it's they're relying on a private enterprise, which is, of course, going to perhaps uh, uh, yeah, do this a lot less expensively, but perhaps also have uh, uh, some issues along the way. U.S. warned Russia not to deploy nuclear weapons in space, noting it would violate a 1967 treaty that bars weapons of mass destruction in space. It marks the first indication of the Biden administration's approach to Representative Mike Turner's warning last week alluding to a serious national security threat. Details, including whether such an anti-satellite weapon could be nuclear-powered or nuclear-armed, have not been made public. 
Any nuclear weapon detonated in space would indiscriminately release a large burst of gamma radiation that would destroy or damage over 7,000 satellites currently in operation and critical to the range of systems, including GPS, phone and Internet usage, financial systems, space surveillance, and missile defense. Russia could deploy the weapon in its orbit as soon as this year, according to U.S. sources. Separately, the mother of deceased Russian opposition leader Navalny said yesterday she was shown her son's body, but the Russian authorities are blackmailing and pressuring her to have a secret mourning ceremony. That's interesting, isn't it? Well, uh, of greater concern, of course, is the, this perhaps a nuclear weapon in outer space that uh, is being planned by the Russians. Well, Americans are spending the highest percentage of disposable income on food since the 90s as a result of sky-high inflation under President Joe Biden, according to a data from the United States Department of Agriculture. Consumers' average spending on food climbed to 11.3% of their disposable personal income in 2022. And according to the USDA, the portion of disposable income spent on food is at the highest level since 1991 during George H.W. Bush's tenure, when it stood at 11.4%, and was still declining from the significant increases during the 70s, according to the Wall Street Journal. Home at food prices rose about 5% on average in 2023, 5% year over year on top of the 11.4% increase the previous year compared to the average yearly increase of the past 20 years of 2.5%. Prices for fats and oils and sugar and sweets and cereals and bakery products have all had the largest increase in 2023, while prices for pork, fish, seafood, and fresh fruits and vegetables were less susceptible to price increases. Overall inflation under Biden has risen rapidly since the start of his term, peaking at 9.1% year-over-year in uh, June 2022 and has so far failed to recede below 3%, uh, most recently measuring at 3.1% in January. Wages have failed to keep up with the inflation, falling around 4% while the decline in the number of average hours work is also uh, they're declining as well. Biden has placed blame on corporations for increasing prices, including calling out companies for shrinkflation, which, of course, is the practice of decreasing the product sizes to maintain the price stability. Nevertheless, uh, Biden again demonstrating his ignorance about how uh, the economy actually works. That's, <laughs> it's not price gouging. It is inflation. And you caused it, Mr. President, along with your uh, profligate spending. Well, Nimarada or Nikki Haley's failing presidential campaign is being bankrolled by over, get this, 5,200 former donors to Joe Biden's 2020 presidential campaign, lending credence to Donald Trump's contention that she only is remaining in the race to try and damage him ahead of the general election. The Biden donors underwriting Haley include 1,600 people who donated over $500,000 in January alone her biggest month for donations ever, despite the fact that she was being crushed by Trump in Iowa, uh, where she placed third and, and in New Hampshire. Bankrolled by Democrats. Nikki Haley. When an unexpected political maneuver, Formidable Teamsters Union has channeled a $45,000 contribution, contribution into the Republican National Committee's coffers for their upcoming convention, according to recent Federal Election Commission filings. Uh, historically aligned with Democrat interests, uh, this marks the Teamsters' first notable financial nod towards the GOP in recent memory. 
The exact earmark of these funds is to underwrite the RNC's national convention expenses rather than for unspecified party use. Uh, dated January the 25th, this contribution preceded a notable meeting between the union's top brass and former President Donald Trump, details of which the union broadcast on social media and uh, platform X. When this monetary gesture signals a uh, whether this uh, monetary gesture signals a shift in allegiances or broader strategic approach remains a subject of speculation among political pundits. Pretty clear to me that the uh, union boss is pretty much aligned with Democrats. Uh, but uh, quite frankly, I don't think that's how the union members feel about it. And maybe this is a concession to them as well. Well, uh, Senate uh, Republicans are stepping up pressure on Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to f- support a full impeachment trial of Homeland Security Ma- Alejandro Mayorkas, warning that the chamber uh, la- leader, uh, Mitch Leader, uh, uh, leader uh, Chucky Schumer, doesn't want to hold the vote on the GOP-passed impeachment resolution. Truck is trying to break over 200 years of Senate president by tabling the impeachment trial, that according to Ted Cruz, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. This would deny the American people the chance to hear the evidence about Biden's lawless open border policy. Now, if the, state, if the House impeaches, it seems to me the uh, Senate is obligated to provide a fair and balanced trial for uh, Biden or for uh, Mayorkas. Things are just too political these days. Everything is, go- is politics. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Mm-hmm. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harton show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Cuyahoga County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com, paid for by Tim Garrett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. Susan Wilson. Right now we have with us uh, William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. A lot of that going on, so it's, it's, it's a big market. <laughs> PacificLegal.org is the name of the, is the website, PacificLegal.org. So, William, we'd like to get some uh, updates from you on what's happening in Washington, D.C. and on Capitol Hill. Let's start with uh, Trump's legal woes with... Uh, 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 lawfare. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I think that's an apt description, and as your listeners have no doubt heard, um, Judge and Gorin, and this is in the New York civil fraud trial brought by uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James, uh, ordered Trump to pay $355 million um, for uh, his past or a pattern of fraudulent actions, which evidently are par for the course when it comes to real estate transactions in New York. Um, and as we've spoken many times before, um, if he were not Trump, I mean, if he had not been a Republican president, uh, this prosecution would not have occurred. Right. Um, there's been much commentary on the outrageous nature of the penalties. I mean, the, this seems to be an unprecedented uh, remedial situation, and that is to say that New York Attorney General has used this law before, never in this particular context, and certainly never to this effect. Um, so it is, um, you know, it is, frankly, it's a, a, this has been noted before, but one of the most uh, alarming things about Trump, and it, it has nothing to do with Trump himself. Yeah, it has to do with how his the people who oppose him are willing to undermine institutions and norms to get at him. Um, and it's, uh, uh, I would arguably, this is an instance of that, this sort of politicized, quote-unquote, justice. It's so disappointing 
It's really, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, you just can't believe that people can stoop to this level, quite frankly, just for uh, political gain. It's unfortunate. Hopefully the truckers are going to have, have created an effect <laughs> as they did in, uh, in uh, Colorado. And uh, hopefully that this will have some sway in what's happening in the courts uh, with Engeron and uh, Leticia. So uh, what about, uh, let's, let's move on to funding for uh, the, uh, for uh, the the government right now with April, uh, March, or I guess it's uh, March 1st is uh, coming up pretty quickly. Indeed. So this is, we've spoken about this before, this, this notion of regular order, mm-hmm. uh, the 12 appropriations bills. And it's akin to those commercials from the 70s and 80s, how a bill becomes a law. Um, everything we sort of associate with proper legislating. Uh, we have this in December, uh, Congress reached this deal on the budget. And the whole point of this deal was to compel regular order, was to kind of uh, put a, a feet to the uh, fire to the, uh, light a fire under the seat of lawmakers in, in order to get them uh, back into this, in, into the, the practice of regular order. The long and short of it is subsequent to this, um, what we've got, so the first of these two tranches that were created a deadline. So March 1st, four of these appropriations bills are due. And then on March 8th, another eight of these appropriations bills are due. So again, the whole point was to spur regular order. Mm-hmm. What we've gotten is a mockery of regular order. Um, so evidently, rank and file members still don't know how the $1.66 trillion top line number was actually distributed amongst the 12 bills, the 12 appropriations bills. Um, all of these negotiations have been conducted behind closed doors, and it looks as though the intent, I mean, there are sources telling various news outlets on Capitol Hill that uh, the, uh, what's going to happen is they're going to drop a, uh, an, a minibus, is what they call it. So it's sort of an, an aggregate of those four bills that are due on March 1st. They're all going to drop at once, perhaps as soon as uh, Sunday, perhaps as late as Wednesday. Um, now, if it were, were as late as Wednesday, then that would give lawmakers uh, 48 hours to process, uh, you know, 2,000 plus page bills. So very much par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, that is to say, an utter disappointment <laughs> seems to be ongoing um, because I, as I've noted on many prior Fridays, I'm a fan of regular order. I think that sort of deliberation uh, can act as a break on spending, uh, one we which we sorely need, and it's these sort of behind closed doors deliberation right. that have, uh, in effect, put our spending on autopilot. Right. It's uh, very disappointing indeed, but uh, hopefully, I understand there is some good news, though, that apparently if, they're not, if they have to go to a continuing resolution, as they have in the past, that there is going to be an automatic 1% reduction in spending? We've spoken about this option before. So this was uh, actually put into the framework under when uh, Kevin McCarthy was the speaker as a part of, I believe, uh, not the Inflation Reduction Act, but the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the long and short of it is, yes, if, if in essence, if there's any stopgap measure put in place beyond April 30th of this year, then automatically 1% cuts go in across the board. And because of the way these budget dynamics shake out, evidently that 1% cut is especially onerous on discretionary spending of the sort that uh, the, the most objectionable sort. Um, so it sounds like a great thing, right? 
Well, the problem is Speaker Johnson, at least in the House, seems intent, again, on proceeding behind closed doors to uh, uh, reach a solution well short of that. Um, So it's a possibility, and it is something that Freedom Caucus actually this week advocated, unless they were to get a raft of of policy concessions from Democrats on the ultimate uh, minibus measure. Um, uh, But it seems as though Speaker Johnson is intent on reaching some sort of deal with the Democrats and uh, with the Senate. Unfortunately, in my mind, nothing should proceed until the border issues are fixed, and that can be done with executive orders as just as quickly as they all of Trump's uh, policies were taken down. They could be reinstated and uh, get that problem solved, and we can fund, t- have then discussions around funding. Not sure there's the political will to do that, though. To be sure, there is not uh, from Biden, and I'll just note this as well. Um, to be sure, I'm for a vigorous executive in certain areas, such as immigration, but really, this should be a function of legislation. The Congress should have the wherewithal to speak to this issue um, forcefully. So uh, uh, sort of in all contexts, I'm a proponent of of Congress leading. Uh, There's a reason why they're the first article of the Constitution. William Yatman, again, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. I hope you check out the very robust website, pacificlegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. All right, coming up, Dr. Susan Wilson. She is the founder of the Tumaini Fund USA. We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show. Are you seeking new customers or contacts for your business? Why not promote your business to our loyal listeners? Join Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, the Collier Senior Center, Lulabee's Diner, and many others who've been advertising on the show, in many cases, for years. The rates are reasonable, and there's no required long-term commitments or contracts. Let me help you promote your business to our loyal listeners here on The Bob Harden Show. Visit the website, bobharden.com, or send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. That's bobharden at hotmail.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up later in the show, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Susan Wilson. She is Dr. Susan Wilson. She is the founder of the To My Knee Fund USA. Dr. Wilson, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Bob. Really pleased to speak to you. Always a pleasure. I'll point out to our listeners that uh, you've been a guest on the show every year, uh, I think for about the last uh, decade and a half, if I'm not mistaken. But it's been just great to see the progress of the organization. But first of all, for our listeners' benefit, tell us about the Two Money Fund USA. Um, Well, Two Money Fund USA um, started, as you say, nearly 15 years ago. The Tumaini Fund as a whole began 21 years ago um, in a response to the terrible situation for AIDS widows and orphans in the Kagira region of northwest Tanzania. Tanzania is one of the ten poorest countries of the world, usually about eight or nine, so it's really poor. Um, And most of the money is in Dar es Salaam, which is in the far um, southeast of of the country. Um, Kagira is in the far northwest, so it's as far from Dar es Salaam as you can go. Very, very poor area. The people there are subsistence farmers. About 95% of them are subsistence farmers. They eat what they grow, and they sell the excess. And these families expect to earn about $160 a year to look after six to eight family members because they really just don't handle money. They just eat what they grow. But it doesn't leave them money for education and all the things that people need. So, so that's the situation that our orphans find themselves in. There are orphans in our area because in the 1990s, the men of war from Rwanda and Burundi, neighboring countries during the genocide, when they lost the war, they came over the border. They attacked the women and the girls down to girls of 12, and HIV in our area went up from 2.8 to 28%. Mm. So um, many, many women had AIDS. Um, My husband and I, both medical doctors, worked there in 2001, and we reckoned every third woman that we delivered in the hospital had AIDS. There was no AIDS treatment at that time, no ARVs. So that woman was going to die. The baby that she delivered um, had a one in three chance of having AIDS. And all the little children that came in to visit her in hospital were going to be orphans because either her husband was dead already or he was going to die. So that was the situation we found ourselves in in 2001. And despite my best efforts, I couldn't find a major charity to kind of rise to the the challenge. Um, So after trying for uh, six months, I started putting together Tumaini Fund, which we launched in January 2003. My idea was maybe we could support 50 children um, and see them through education, just see that their lives were okay, their living conditions were okay, and their health was okay. So that was my ambition. Um, But now we find ourselves in 2024, and we're serving 100,000 orphans. Amazing. Just amazing results. 
And if you, when you talk about the $160 a year for a family of six or eight, mm. and you were talking about the, the struggle to find clean water, the struggle to oh gosh, to, yeah. to get uh, to get uh, kids. Uh, they, the requirement in Tanzania is that they wear uniforms to school. Kids, exactly. They don't have they don't have the money to pay for the uniforms. Uh, and that's when they're not orphans. You know, that's an, a normal family. Yeah. They struggle so much for. As you say, $160 a year. Um, the books that the children need for secondary school are a, a, a dollar each. They need 10 of them, so that's $10. And they need their school uniform. They need shoes. So it's a real struggle for the, the families there anyway. But when the mum and dad are dead, um, it's impossible for the children. And, and that's what I walked into, kind of unbeknownst, unplanned, in 2001. And as a mum myself... My husband and I have four sons. Um, I, I walked into a valley of children one day. I went to see a child-headed family one afternoon, and on my way to seeing them, I noticed that everyone in this family, in this valley, were children. There were children with children on their backs, children holding children's hands. They were looking for food, wandering around. There were no parents because mm. all the adults in this clan, because they have clans like the Scots have clans, the McGregors and the Campbells. And so people marry within their clan to keep the land in their clan. So if, if a man had died of AIDS, they didn't know that. They didn't know about AIDS. If the man had died, then the wife married someone else to keep the land in the clan, then she died, then he married someone else, and then he died. And so this valley that I went into was just full of children because all the mums and dads had died. Now, that was, um, that was 20, 2001, really. Mm -hmm. So we're 23 years on from there. So those children now, they're all in their 20s, so there aren't valleys full of children now. Um, but there are still many, many orphans, as I say, 100,000 100, of whom we're serving as best we can and a huge help towards what we do. We have, we have boards in Guernsey, where I'm from, England, Scotland, Canada, and here in Naples, USA. And the amount of help we get from the USA enables us substantially to offer help to these children. Such a wonderful story. I'm wondering, uh, uh, Dr. Wilson, if uh, are there some stories of kids that have actually gotten educated and had to develop successful lives now after this 21 years of service? Yeah, of course, there are. And thank you for asking that because um, so we're 21 years on and actually five of our six leaders into Tumaini Fund in Tanzania are our previous orphans. Ah. Um, Isaac Kabombo, who's our director of programs, um, I first came across in, I think, 2004, and I think his mother's, his widowed mother's house and the rest of the family was the first house that we ever rebuilt. Um, and so that was Isaac. He was a very um, grumpy-looking schoolboy, actually, in those days. Um, but we kept in touch, and through the years, he, he so to my niece, supported him through secondary school, through middle school, through high school, um, and then on to university, um, where he got a degree. And when he came back um, with a degree, he worked as an intern in Tumaini, and he's worked his way up, and now he's actually director of programs, one of our orphans. And his deputy, Benson Modest, who's our director of finance and administration, he has a degree in uh, agronomy, agriculture and economics, and he's, he's also one of our orphans. So... Five out of our six leaders are are running the work, 
and and wonderfully. I mean, I must say, you know, there's an old story in England, a fairy story about a princess who kissed a frog and he turned into a prince. Mm. But we have a saying that we sometimes have to kiss a number of frogs before we get our prince. Well, over 21 years, I've kissed a number of frogs uh-huh. in Tanzania within our leadership, and now I am just delighted with the young men and women. T- two of our leaders, two of those those um, five orphans are actually female. So we've got our, our, our leadership, our combination of men and women, and I'm so proud of them. And we have many, many very tight um, fiscal controls, and they just jump the fences and they, they do so well. So that's our, our kind of team in Tanzania. But I have one young man at the moment called Wemma, who I keep in touch with. He, he got a law degree, completed his law degree two years ago, um, last year he worked as an intern in a solicitor's office, and um, and now he's at law school, um, getting his law law school qualification so he can be a litigator and go to court. Um, wow. And he wouldn't have had a secondary education, let alone a university degree without Tumaini. Another one of our guys, um, Ilya Ethan, is doing a master's in um, ophthalmology at the moment. Again. Without Tumaini and without your support in Tumaini Fund USA, he wouldn't have got his secondary education under his belt. But he's done um, phenomenally well with his medical degree, which he now has, and now he's training specifically in ophthalmology. Isn't that a wonderful story? Now, has has the uh, incidence of AIDS and uh, orphanage uh, orphans uh, has it decreased over the years, or, or what's the situation there? Yeah, I think I think AIDS control is so much better now. Um, we do we do still see a lot of AIDS. You know, these people are living in communities far in the bush, <coughs> far away from, often twenty to thirty kilometers away from a medical center. So, um, although AIDS education has gone out there and people do understand, um, there's still a lot of AIDS there, and so our AIDS families, um, people who are infected with HIV, we make sure that um, every month they go for their um, AIDS treatment, which is free at the point of delivery, but we have to get them there. As I say, they might be 20 or 30 kilometers away from a dispensary, so we might need to find them a bus fare once a month, but we get them to get their AIDS treatment and they can have a, a viral load of zero and be living, you know, a normal life. They have to try and look after themselves in an area that tends to have malnutrition and so on. You know, I mean, nutrition is very important. But no, uh, so a lot of our, um, you know, kind of widows or widowers, um, we can manage to help them survive with AIDS to be the better head of their family than, say, if it was an auntie or a grandparent or a child-headed family. So nowadays we're able to keep our AIDS sufferers going. Um, But also I have to admit that a number of our orphans now are orphans not just because of AIDS. If there's an orphan, to my new fund, pick them up. So there are many, you know, there was one um, lady who went to get water from a very muddy river. That was where they get water from. And as you say, we have our own water program, Digging Wells. And she went to get um, water from a well, uh, from, a, from a dirty, muddy river, and was eaten by a crocodile. Oh, my goodness. So um, that child, um, the, the father abandoned the child, and that child was, was, in that, was now an orphan. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are many, you know, there, there, a father died, I can't remember of what he died of. He died of some infectious illness. 
and then the mother went one evening to one day to a, a wedding um didn't come home that night folk assumed that that she was staying with a relative overnight and unfortunately they found her body the next day she'd been murdered so oh. the entire family is orphaned so we're picking up orphans yeah or um, just... all orphans now yeah. so that's why we have 100,000 but i do believe that things are much better and i believe there's been a huge impact of what to my um fund USA have done over the years not not just with Elia Ethan our doctor or Wemma our lawyer or our our leaders um but uh, our children are like a, a pyramid so these guys at the top who've got their university degrees we have about 200 in university a year but all the way through we're giving uh, the young people chances they go to technical colleges yeah. you know they complete secondary school and um, we have ourselves 10 vocational training schools teaching carpentry or tailoring to young people who have dropped out of education and those and they might have dropped out because that year when they had an important exam they had typhoid and malaria yeah. you know and they were just unable to complete so you know all the way down our pyramid we've got young people who are doing so much better because of the education that to Money Fund USA are facilitating. Yeah, just a terrific organization. And uh, Dr. Wilson sent me pictures of a woman dying in her mud tr uh, hut. I mean, it's, oh. it's uh, mm. just, I mean, we can't imagine really living on $160 uh, a year. Mm. Uh, the, the typical poverty, never mind being an orphan or a widow or a widower, it's just unbelievable. So what I need to say is that we are, um, within our organization, we've got five offices, one sub-office, and we're working really strongly towards becoming income-generating. You know, our, our carpenters, um, our students sell sofas and tables and chairs that they make. Our, our tailoring students are starting to sell the clothes that they make there, as well as making elementary school uniforms for us. Um, we, we, we have uh, gardens where we grow fruit and vegetables, and we sell that. Now, obviously, that brings in cents and dollars, but longer term, we are looking to raise funds within Tanzania itself, not to create dependency and not to need to be on your program every year, Bob. You know, kind of asking people to engage and asking for more money. We're, we're building something sustainable, step by step, up Wonderful. in Tanzania. Well, you've made such a contribution. Now, we have an opportunity to su support the effort. Uh, there's an event on Sunday evening. It's called the Tumaini Fund Safari. Yeah. And uh, are there still tickets available? Yes, we can always fit one or two more people in. We would love to um, invite any of your listeners to come along. Um, it's being held at the, at the Etude de Ballet. It's the Naples Art and Banquet Center in Pine R on Pine Ridge. And people can um, apply for a ticket um, by getting in touch with us on tominifundusa.org forward slash events. But if they go to tominifundusa.org, org and as I say forward slash events will get them to the place they need to be to get a ticket oh and t to my name t u m a i n i mm -hmm. fund USA.org is the website. So yeah. uh, it's going to be a wonderful evening. Again, Sunday evening, the 25th, coming up just in a few days yeah. uh, at 5 to 9 p.m. It'll be a wonderful affair, but also an opportunity to learn more about this just incredible work of uh, Dr. Wilson. I'm sure you went to 
uh, Tanzania for a couple of weeks to just to go <laughs> to provide some support and ended up staying there for a, a new career and a new lifetime. So Exactly. I've, I've actually found the place that I want to be buried. That's, this is my life now. I will carry on. So as you say, that's been 23 years for me in Tanzania when I thought I was serving for three months. Um, lovely people, lovely place, and I'm so, I feel so honored to be doing this work. Well, God bless you. Dr. Susan Wilson, really appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more, get tickets for some great performances coming up, and also find out about the new Performing Arts Center that is being opened this year, 44,000 square feet. It's absolutely beautiful. Again, visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. Uh, 
uh, AccuWeather's hurricane experts have warned of a blockbuster and explosive Atlantic hurricane season come this summer and fall. Now, I have to be honest, I don't think there's been any year where I haven't read the same sentence (laughs) to to start about what the predictions might be. But nevertheless, uh, Jonathan Porter, chief meteorologist for AccuWeather, said the upcoming season could get supercharged, partly due to water temperatures in the major development region in the Atlantic. There's a lot of red, uh, high water temperatures. The water is so warm already, which is kind of strange because the weather's been so cold. But typically, the water is about as warm as it is in mid-July, Porter said. Here we are towards the end of February. It's a lot warmer than it should be, AccuWeather Chief uh, Video Meteorologist Bernie Reno According to said, uh, according to AccuWeather, 2024's temperatures are nearly 65% higher than the average temperature. The last closest year was 20, uh, 2002. Wind shear is another factor that impacts total tropical development. A strong shear can help prevent storms from forming and gaining strength. In 2023, the U.S. benefited from wind shear, preventing the development of massive storms towards making uh, landfall. Porter said Pacific waters will be cooler, which alters the configuration of the jet stream and reduces wind shear and disruptive winds toward the Caribbean. AccuWeather forecasted an above-average number of named storms and also warned of more major hurricanes and rapid intensification of storms. And examples of this rapid intensification was Hurricane Ian in 2022. We're all familiar with that. Uh, and uh, Porter noted that Texas and Louisiana may be the greater risk for the landfall this season. The National Weather Service Climate Prediction Center also raised notice to the trends towards a potentially more active hurricane season. La Nina is a weather pattern that typically results in less wind shear impacting the MDR. Uh, 2022 was a La Nina year. As of early February, the National Weather Service gave La Nina development by June to August a 55% chance that it's a subject to change depending on its uh, trends and as they continue. So uh, just a little warning here that we all should be ready for any kind of hurricane and bad weather that uh, does possibly develop. Uh, unfortunate, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we need to take heed. Well, President Joe Biden's assertion on social media claiming hands-on involvement by his administration from the outset of the incident in East Palestine has caused a stir of opposition. His late visit in Ohio, currently a full year after the heroin chemical spill disaster, cast doubt on the message he's conveyed this past, uh, this past week. With a full rotation of the calendar between the derailment and his appearance, critics are openly questioning the timing and sincerity of the president's com- comment. He said, my administration has been on the ground since the beginning, Biden stated, emphasizing a promise to not retreat until all issues are resolved. However, a recent posted clip featuring his conversation with East Palestine residents uh, seemed to add fuel to the controversy rather than quell it. Detractors denounced the delay with one social media reaction summarizing this sentiment. One day comes 365 days later. Uh, you're abandoned East Palestine because you didn't benefit your po- political agenda. Another person responded, uh, people were not happy. That's unfortunate. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Uh, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's the author of about a dozen books. His latest, which is a great read, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Uh, just a terrific read. I hope you get a copy. Also, he writes his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. I hope you'll check it out. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Professor. So your latest column in Newsmax, No Reason Green Energy EV Batteries Should Escape Carbon Tax. It's an interesting take on this whole thing. Maybe you could tell us about it. Uh, Bob, it's something I've, you know, I could say sticks in my craw for a long time. Where, you know, there's a big, there's a big political divide uh, with regard to the climate change you know, I call it silliness, but again, you know, climate's been changing for millions of years, mm-hmm. and we're not going to, you know, kind of change it by you know, selling your SUV. You know, it's just, I mean, <laughs> could, but but there's a that, in that craziness, and I've been writing about this lunatic stuff now for a dozen years, and and and, and I think you know if you look at the partisan, you know, the you know, political side of this. You know, some of us, like myself, we were really outliers about a dozen years ago, and that was, and that was when Climate Gate was kind of being ignored and so on by the media. Um, but now they, you know, I've seen a quite a, you know, quite a shift of awareness where Republicans are realizing what a scam this has been in terms of really using it to push these energy policies, uh, you know, these kind of woke, you know, green, uh, you know. If it grows, it must be plugged into a tree somewhere. Yeah, and so you know, I and and so, but but then on one hand, you know, Republicans are supposed to be 
somewhat aware of reality. On the other hand, they talk about a carbon tax. Yeah. You know, and they say, well, why would you have a carbon tax? You know, a, ta- a carbon tax is a tax on everything. You know, because, because uh, you know, everything really relies on energy and, and not, not, to, not to mention the fact that the concrete we use to build buildings is, 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 uh, produces carbon dioxide and, and so on. So you expect the Republicans to be a little bit smarter, but you know, don't, don't count on it. So you know, there's this new legislation proposed by, by two Republicans, Bill Cassidy of, 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 Los, of uh, Louisiana and Lindsey Graham. Of South Carolina, and uh, they're saying, "Well, why, why not pass a, a foreign pollution fee act?" In this, the idea is, is that they say, "Well, well, with this foreign pollution fee act, uh, we can we can punish uh, China and other countries that you know that that produce carbon dioxide by essentially taxing their you know their their stuff." Well. You know the the green movement's going to seize on that and say, "See, even the Republicans believe believe we need a you know constraint on carbon." So, yeah. so I you know I royal I royal at this stuff. On one hand, on one hand, you know, the carbon dioxide is is plant food as we've talked about. On the other hand, you got Republicans promoting this tax, which is a tax on everything. Right. So, so when I I wrote the article and I wrote well. If we're going to have a carbon tax and call carbon dioxide pollution, I guess we're polluting the climate. I mean, you know, give me a break. Polluting the weather? I don't know. <laughs> but 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 if we're going to do that, then then we ought to tax electric vehicles, and we ought to tax we ought to tax uh, you know the solar panels. We ought to tax wind wind turbines because you know, I have a friend, Mark Mills, who's done a lot of research on on this stuff, and and when you look at it, you know. And I, I just kind of in this, I talk about some of the some of Mark's numbers, and he's done a lot of analysis on this. Constructing and replacing each wind turbine consumes about thirty thousand tons of iron ore and fifty thousand tons of concrete, nine hundred tons of plastic for the huge blades, and all this stuff's going to wind up. You know, the, the, the life. I didn't put this in the article, but the, you know, the life cycle of a wind turbine is about fifteen to twenty years. So mm-hmm. you've got. You've got a force of junk after after fifteen or twenty years, having put all this 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 material into wind turbines and 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 uh, you know not to mention you know probably killing a lot of whales and so on. But but you've got all this junk, you know, and 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 then you take these wind you know wind turbine blades and they're huge. And put them in landfills, you can, or chop them up. You know the huge amounts of, of, of waste, yeah. including the same thing with solar panels. You know the all these you know, a lot of toxic materials that wind up in in you know landfills and so on. But but you look at electric vehicles, and you and you look at the you know, the rare earth materials that go into these vehicles that can't that really can't be recycled readily. Yeah, and and that winds up in landfills, and 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 say well you know. We, we've got to we've got to be environmentally conscious. Well, well, all these you know, so so we can't we can't mine these rare earths for the for the batteries in the U.S. because of environmental regulations. You know, got, you know, at the same time, oh yeah, but we can import the the rare earths from China. Yeah, 
which which produce about 80, 85% of them. And, and they're produced by, you know, Uyghur labor and, and slave labor in China and, 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 and all this stuff, you know, building the turbines and, and, and melting the steel and all that, you know, all that excavation comes yeah. from petroleum. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have electric powered, uh, dozers and, 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 and processing or, you know, iron smelting or aluminum production for these electric vehicles, uh, you know, that doesn't, that, again, that doesn't come from your wall socket, you know, so you you have all this energy, all this so-called dirty fossil energy that's been keeping our society uh, warm and fed and moving for, for decades, uh, being, being, being vilified and, mm-hmm. and, and, and and people think that this electricity for their for their plug-in uh, vehicles, you know, if you recharge your car at night, it doesn't come from sunshine. Right. And and, and uh, you know the wind is terribly intermittent. As, as sunlight is maybe less so, but and these sources are so far from from metropolitan areas where they're used that you have transmission losses, and, and you got to build these long transmission lines from these remote sites that wind up waggling in the breezes and setting forests on fire. So, yeah. you know, it, it is a, you know, it is such a, a scam. And, and so the article said, well, if we're going to have a carbon tax to tax everything, oh my gosh, let's, you know, we, we should certainly tax electric vehicles. Yeah. Uh, and we should certainly tax, you know, wind power and, and uh, you know, and, and solar and, and or either that or end this nonsense. And the nonsense certainly makes sense to me. The fact of the matter is, the more carbon dioxide we have, uh, more photosynthesis, uh, the more flush and green our Earth becomes. This is, you're, in my opinion, just totally, absolutely right about this. Uh, and I'm going to refer our listeners to your column. Newsmax.com, no reason green energy EV batteries uh, should escape carbon tax by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, always appreciate your conversations and commentary. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Well, it's always a great pleasure. Thanks so much. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did and learned a lot. I hope you join us on Monday. We've got great guests, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. John Miltimore is the editor-at-large at Fee.org. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will join us as well. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>